Hey, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream and podcast for Tuesday, July 26, 2022. I am Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, where our new slogan is Football Lives Here. And we know football lives in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and that is where one of today's guests is. Aaron Nagler from Cheesehead TV is joining us today to preview the Football Outsiders Almanac chapter on the Green Bay Packers. We will also be talking about the Detroit Lions later in the show. Derek Klassen is here as well. He wrote those chapters. Uh, don't forget that the Almanac is out now and you can get it at Amazon or you can get the electronic version with an FO Plus subscription, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. And you want to get your FO Plus subscription now because our big early bird special sale, 20% off, goes until the end of the week and then the prices go up. So get your FO Plus subscription now to get your electronic copy of the Almanac, all 550 pages, roughly, of football previews that are in this thing. Uh, all right, let's talk uh, about the Green Bay Packers. Our question of the day is about the Green Bay Packers, and that is who is going to be the number one receiver for the Green Bay Packers between Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, and Christian Watson. So I'll let the uh, viewers... Uh, make their choices in the poll. If you're listening afterwards on the podcast network, don't forget to watch us live at 1 p.m. Eastern because then you can make comments on YouTube or Twitch and interact with us, ask questions. But let's ask Aaron first, who do you think is wide receiver one for the Green Bay Packers this year? Well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, really excited to be with Football Outsiders. I've been watching and consuming your content for I mean, over a decade and a half. So really honored that you asked me. Oh, it doesn't get better. It doesn't get much better when it comes to Packers experts, man. Well, that's really nice of you to say. Um, as far as the question, uh, I mean, I can't really put it in a poll type answer. I mean, if you're talking early in the season, it's probably Alan Lazar, but I don't think that remains steadfast throughout the season. I think a lot of it will be determined by who they're facing defensively and what type of scheme they're going against. And I do think there will be weeks where Sammy Watkins just goes off you know, provided obviously that he's healthy and stays on the field, which we all know has been the bugaboo the last few years. But I do think, you know, between those two, you'll probably have some big games, but I don't think any one guy is going to step in and be wide receiver one. As far as Christian Watson, no question about it. You're really excited about the athleticism. The upside is definitely there. But man, we all know, we heard Aaron this offseason talk about how he prefers production over potential. And we got to see him, get on the field, get on the same page with Rodgers, his famous issues with trust and being in the right spot. And it's not just doing your homework. It's not just diving into the playbook, although that's a must, but it's also seeing the game the way Aaron does. So if you're at the line of scrimmage and Aaron sees something pre-snap and makes a slight adjustment, makes a call, what have you, you've got to not only get that call and know what the adjustment is, but then you've got to see the defense taken off from your stance and read what he's reading as far as here comes the safety rotation. And that's the outside leverage from the corner. So I know I got to make this break at nine yards and blah, blah, blah. This all goes into it each and every snap. And it could be a run play that gets turned into a passing play. These are all the things that Watson and all these rookies are going to have to get on board with sooner rather than later, if they're going to be in the conversation. I feel I mean, like I said early, it's definitely Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. As the year goes on, I think we'll see more people get involved as the number one 
that's obviously an issue for rookies with every team. Do you think it's a bigger issue with Rodgers than it is with other veteran quarterbacks? I think it's – I mean, I would suspect yes. Uh, I just – I point back to – these last couple of years, I've pointed back to an interview that um, MVS did with Ty Dunn for his website a couple off-seasons ago where MVS talked about the idea of, oh, bring in a wide receiver or even draft a first-round wide receiver, which has obviously been – a big narrative around green Bay for years, but you know, he went on extensively about how it's just not that easy. It's not Madden. You don't just drop in and go. Um, now clearly MVS is about to play for his own, his new NFL team in Kansas city, never been anywhere else. So he can't really speak to experiences in other NFL towns, but I suspect, yeah, it's probably at a slightly higher level when you've got the four time MVP who is running this offense now, like it's second nature to him. I got to think there's a little bit more pressure on you as a wide receiver. Derek, what are your thoughts about the wide receivers in Green Bay this year? I'm pretty much in lockstep with uh, with Aaron. I think, like, it's probably going to be Lazard early on. And, like, even down the stretch when other guys get involved, he'll probably have already gotten enough production early that he might just end the season with the most yards, catches, whatever. Um, but I kind of suspect Lazard just because he has the most experience there. I think because he can do a number of things, I think that just kind of – Helps to Aaron's point about like they're going to have to change up what they do every week just because they don't have a true number one. But because Lazard can kind of be like this malleable, move around a little bit, do some different things, I think that actually helps his case a lot. Um, I'm actually most interested to see how much work Randall Cobb actually gets because I think he was better than people realized. Um, yes. Last year, especially on like third downs and stuff, he was he was a really big uh, point for Rodgers. So I don't think, you know, Cobb will necessarily fight for the number one job, but I am very interested to see how many of the reps he, he takes away from some other guys. To that point, it's interesting if you go and watch the games where it's clear that they game planned with him in mind, right? Whether mm. it's Pittsburgh game, the Rams game at home, both of those contests, he's featured pretty heavily in the passing game in the sense of he's a number one read on a lot of plays where that didn't happen much of the year. Now, I know he missed a good stretch of time, but to your point, yeah, it, when he's involved in the game plan, he's certainly produced. I mean, the Rams game in particular, I thought, was almost like a textbook of how you want to use him. He might be a sneaky good guy for DFS players to watch out for yes. because he's probably going to come cheap and be underrated. I know, uh, I mean, I've only done one fantasy draft so far this year, but in the Scott Fishbowl draft that I had, he was like my top guy left on my board for two or three rounds because – people are sort of underestimating what he did when he was healthy last year. I, I really think people just got in their minds like, oh, Randall Cobb went to Green Bay to play with his friend again. And like, we just forgot about like what <laughs> right. he actually does as a player. He actually but did like, stuff good. while he was there. Yeah, he actually did <laughs> yeah. stuff. Right, right. H.E. <laughs> Soder points out, we need to think of it as receiving option number one rather than wide receiver number one. So Aaron Jones, how big a part of the passing game is he? Yeah, Soder's a longtime Cheesehead TV fan, so good to see you, Soder. Um, Thanks to have you on think, our podcast, man. I think he's obvious. I mean, I, I'm in absolute agreement there. I think Jones will maybe not explode in the sense of the passing game. I do think he and A.J. Dillon are going to be, you know, in kind of lockstep as far as usage goes. But I do think Jones will be featured a whole lot in the passing game. All you got to do is look at the seven games that Devontae missed while Matt LaFleur was in town to see how much the running backs got involved in the passing game in Devontae's absence. I don't think much changes in that regard. And I'm not talking like simple dump offs. I'm not even talking angle routes. I'm talking vertical routes. You go back and watch uh, the 2020 game 
where they sat Devontae down at the last minute. And there are plays in that game plan where they've literally got Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones running on four verts and completing big time conversions on third down deep, like 20 yards downfield. I don't think it's going to be a, a simple case of, oh, we're going to run a screen or two, although that will happen, but they are going to be used in the game, like vertically. There's no question. The uh, projection for the offense is fifth, which is a little down from last year where they were second and they were first the year before in our DVOA numbers. And I think that's all just the loss of Devonte Adams. I mean, normally when you lose a player who's that productive, you do go down a little bit. And I know that there's a lot of arguments have been made about both Green Bay and Kansas City. Um, strangely, I don't hear the same arguments about Tennessee, but I do hear them about Green Bay and Kansas City that right. they added enough like smaller pieces and the quarterback and the scheme are good enough that they won't miss that number one guy as much as you think they will. Right. I'm curious what your guys' take is on that idea. I mean, I think when you have a quarterback that good, it is definitely true. When you have one of those three, four or five guys, like I think they can afford to lose, you know, a Devontae Adams. I mean, it still sucks, obviously. And like you said, they are still going to be worse. But if you can lose the literal best receiver in football and still be the fifth best offense in, in football, I think anybody who can pull that off would be very happy about being able to get away with that. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't think there's any question the sense that yeah, Aaron Rodgers papers over a lot, right? He's the best deodorant in football. There's no question about it. <laughs> now, that said, it's funny to me that people do such a big deal about losing Devontae for obvious reasons. Like you said, best receiver in football. Of course, you're going to miss him. But the things that brought them kind of down last year weren't necessarily Devontae byproducts. Whether you're talking about early downs and their efficiency, especially in the run game and making sure that they were staying ahead of the sticks, something they did outstandingly well in 2020 or their red zone efficiency. I mean, they completely fell off the map in the red zone last year in a way that was really surprising given how easy things looked the previous season. Like and neither one of those were really Devante centric, but those are the things like and to me, a large part of that staying ahead of the sticks thing is staying healthy up front. I think that was a direct byproduct, but it, it's, I do think it, those two things are the, the main things to look at with the Green Bay offense. This year. It, it's funny because we expect so much from Rodgers and so much from the Green Bay offense. They ranked ninth in DVOA in the red zone last year, and it feels like a fall off. It, it was a fall off they were, from the previous overall, season. Overall, they were you know? second. But yes, like, comparative to the rest of the league. Ahead. Right, right. Um, I, I should point out, by the way, for people who are watching who may not normally watch the Football Outsiders live stream, uh, who are Packers fans or Cheesehead TV watchers, uh, you may be shocked at the graphic with our simulation from this year that we only have 9.3 average wins for the Packers. I point out our simulation is notoriously conservative where everything groups around 500. And this year came out even more conservative than usual. Like it's something I have to look at at some point. Came out... <laughs> Really conservative. So it's not actually that much lower than where they were last year. Last year, they were eighth in DVOA, and this year they're projected to be 11th. So it's not that much lower. What is controversial, I would think, for Packers fans is that we have the Vikings slightly ahead of the Packers because while the Packers are better on offense, the Vikings are projected to be better on special teams with an easier schedule and similar defenses. 
the special teams, I think, I mean, you know, we all expect it to be better because special teams nowhere to go but up. So, I mean, even though they're projected 32nd, it's they're not projected to be anywhere near as bad as they were last year. The defense is, I think, where a lot of the discussion has been because I certainly said last uh, a couple months ago to a tweet, I think Mina Kimes tweeted about how the Packers could have a top five defense. Mm-hmm. And I said, I just, I, I, I don't see it based on their performance over the last couple of years. They've been a very average or slightly below average defense. Even a couple of years ago when Jair Alexander was healthy, even last year when Rashawn Gary was improved and Kenny Clark's been there, you know, it's not like Kenny Clark's new, like he's been there every year and Devondre Campbell was there last year and played really, really well. And they were still kind of average. So let's talk about the defense. And I know Derek, you feel that the parts that they've added can come together to be more like the parts are more than the whole. Yeah, I think it's just for me in particular, I understand the, um, you know, cause for for pessimism just in the sense of like you can only expect rookies to do so much. Um, But I think specifically with Quay Walker, he fundamentally changes like how the defense looks because last year they could not play with a second linebacker. Like they tried at certain points, but like Chris Barnes really couldn't do anything in coverage. So he was a liability anytime he was on the field. And then Oren Burks was the opposite where he was kind of – okay in coverage but a complete liability against the run i think because walker kind of walks the line and does a little bit of both i mean if you watch him at georgia he was the guy that they were pushing out to cover against trips to cover against the wide side of the field when they needed a guy to cover it was walker he was like the the bridge between their insane uh pressure packages and all the cool stuff they were doing on the back end he was like the glue that held it together i think he can do a lot of that in green bay because if you watch their defense last year because of the way they emptied out the box and like the middle of the field, it put an unbelievable amount of stress on those safeties. And I think with a little more help from Walker and whatever they can get out of Devonta Wyatt in terms of, you know, potentially um, giving some more pressure, I think it just eases so much pressure off of those guys. And I think when they don't have so much on their mind, I think they're both really, really good playmakers when they have opportunities. So I think that's kind of just, I think there's just so many cascading effects from, from Walker and then add that on top of, you know, getting a, you know, maybe the second best cornerback in football back. Pretty, pretty good, I think. I mean, that's the thing we tend to forget. I think as this offseason goes on and you start looking at the numbers, right? I mean, they missed a significant amount of time with Jair Alexander last year, yeah. and they missed an entire season with Zadarius Smith. Now, obviously, Zadarius has gone on to Minnesota, but I do think you look at the pieces and then you look at the additions. Getting Razul back, getting uh, Devondre Campbell back, no question. They had to do that, I mean, to continue on and keep developing. And that's the other thing. You talk about, you know, the last few years. Well, that's true. I'm not going to argue with you about whatever Mike Pettin was doing. but Right, I'm at- thinking more of the last, like, <laughs> two years. Like, I'm not no, going I know, back I know, four or five. I know. But Joe Barry's only been in town for one year, you know, and they so, that, was a, that was a scheme change. And there were certainly issues, especially against the run. And I'll tell you what, you add Wyatt, you add John Reed, um, you start – getting a little more stout up front you know you're running those guys out there instead of Tyler Lancaster I think you're going to be a little bit better on early downs and then it all comes down to managing injuries right because injuries are uh, that's a fact of life in the NFL looking on paper right now here in late July it's a really good defensive unit now how are you going to respond if you do miss a stretch with Jair Alexander or let's say Kenny Clark goes down for a little bit those more than anything will determine the Packers defense and their performance this year, because I think all their frontline guys 
I'm absolutely sold on. The depth, that's where things get dicey. So if they start having to roll into their fourth, fifth corner or something, or, you know, a, a deep pocketed uh, outside linebacker group, of which there's just not a lot there, then, yeah, there might be issues. But if they stay relatively healthy, this will be at least a top 10 unit. And, yes, I think they'll be sniffing, sniffing top five. I, I will say this about Douglas, which is I, I, I feel like just like you have to remember that Jair Alexander is coming back and it's really good, you have to temper your expectations for Douglas because cornerbacks are notoriously inconsistent. And the year that he had last year is completely oh, like, like out of bottle. place in no his question. career. Right. Um, I know that like Derek in the chapter gives some quotes that Douglas gave about feeling that this scheme helped him play better and that that might be a reason why he can continue to play at the level he played last year. But like the level he played at last year is a level I mean, he never played at. Before. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you look at I mean, the fact that this is his sixth NFL team should tell you like, OK, yeah, he really hasn't found a home until getting to Green Bay. And he certainly you know, hit the ground running. I mean, they literally signed him that week when he made the big play to win the Arizona game. You know, that's most people don't just start like that. And then the back-to-back pick something back-to-back pick sixes in, you know, subsequent weeks, which hadn't happened since like Herb Adderley was in town. So <laughs> it's, you know, he, he definitely announced his presence with authority. No question about it. it. It can be volatile as far as like a performer, a performance from a corner year after year. But I do think again, developing the system, Having Jair across from you for the majority of the time, or Stokes, you know, if they kick Jair inside, which they probably will at times, I, I just think, man, I, it's it it bodes well for him, and I think he's in the the best spot he's been in in the NFL. I don't expect pick sixes every week. I mean, I, I don't. That's uh, even Charles Woodson couldn't do that. But I think his level of play, if he is just week in and week out, gives him what he gave him last year as far as consistency, they'll be cooking with gas. Stokes I, I had a think, nice rookie year, by the way, and he's yes, not he somebody. And I, think I think an underappreciated people outside of Green Bay are not really cognizant of him because Agreed. he wasn't like a super hyped prospect. Well, I mean, exactly, he was late first so, round. The the, yeah. the Rogers drama last summer really kind of masked uh, anything about their draft, let alone their first round pick. You know, because all the conversation was about Rogers. So yeah. like Stokes, Stokes is also shine. Stokes is also a player where like his bad plays just look horrific. And those are really easy to remember if you're only watching a few Packers games, you know, whenever they're on primetime or whatever. But yeah, if you go back and watch his season, he was pretty good. Like, he, he was yeah. one of the better, more productive rookie corners um, that we've seen in a long time, actually. Yeah, you just, yeah, he, you wish, you would have liked to have seen him hold on to a few interceptions. I mean, I think yeah. there's one knock. That <laughs> his, is, that's the thing. He's his ball skills ball. are a little, they just, yeah. he just, he, which is funny because it's kind of like Jair Alexander in that way. Like Jair's kind of the same way. So as long as you're not giving up big plays, and he did give up a few last year, but that's his rookie year. And he was playing exactly. a hell of a lot more than they ever expected him to because of the injury to Jair. So that, you know, those banked reps, that experience, now he's in year two. Love it for Green Bay. And the last thing I would add on on Douglas is like, he really just has to be a better player than Chandon Sullivan, which I don't think is a very high bar. And I think you can definitely I, do that. I think you're onto something. There. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Uh, MZ asks, will Savage get many interceptions? He had two last year. If he can hold on to them. Yes. <laughs> he that's another. There. Here's the thing. He was, he, he made a number of big plays two years ago. Right. And then they made the scheme change. And I don't know if it's because they play so much too high, what he's asked to do, et cetera. The, the big plays just didn't flow last year the way they had the previous season. That said, 
it's fascinating to me to watch kind of the narrative around Packers media and fans about, oh, he had a disappointing year. And I don't buy that. I, I think he was fine. He was good. Probably yeah. not as dynamic as you would have liked, especially considering his physical skills. But I do wonder, given what you were talking about earlier about Quay Walker, is he allowed to do a little bit more near the box? Because he, under Petten, was so good. The closer he got to the line of scrimmage, the better his play became. I do wonder if there's more kind of mixing and matching, allowing Quay to take that seam stuff and giving Savage a few more opportunities to freelance, go get the football, etc. Here's hoping. Nate Rogers asks, what is more likely, Aaron Rodgers winning a third MVP in a row or TJ Watt winning the sack title for the third time in a row? That's, uh, I that's honestly an interesting think, question I think because it's, I think it's Aaron Rodgers. I think it is too. And I think the reason <laughs> is we all we would you would think initially, like, oh, because he doesn't have Devontae, it's gonna be harder to win MVP. But now but we already have earn it in him our votes. Mind. Exactly. Yeah, so if he's like good. one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league, people will right. go, Oh, and look what he did without although exactly. what we're gonna end up doing is having this discussion about look what Aaron Rodgers did without Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. look what Patrick Mahomes did. Mahomes is doing Tyree without Tyreek Hill, 100%. Right. Maybe they split the vote, right? Maybe they, yeah. like, they <laughs> get the merits because they're just so good that no one can decide between the two, which is entirely possible. Yeah, but I I mean, it it would be tough for Watt to have that many sacks again, but he's not doesn't need that many sacks to win the sack title. But I think you guys are right. I think it would be Rodgers by a little bit is more likely. I mean, just slightly. And I know I'm obviously sitting outside Lambeau field and I am a total Homer, but I just think it's, it's probably the probabilities, probably Rogers. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like Rogers can get help narrative wise for the sack title. There's no narrative. Yeah. Right. Pure numbers. Right. (laughs) Yep. Very true. Very true. Um, I I will point out one of the reasons I voted for Rogers last year over Brady was the idea that he overcame the injuries on his offensive line. So the last thing we should probably oh, talk about to with that the point, is- can I just can I just say something that has not been talked about at all is that yes. exactly what you're talking about. And the sense if you want an example of what Chats is talking about here, go watch the Rams game. I mean, there are plays, especially on third down, where Aaron Donald and company are in his lap less than two seconds after the snap of the ball. And he's getting the ball out. He's completing passes on third down. It's an insane performance. And it's the type of stuff he was doing all year long that no one talks about. Nyman, Nijman, not sure Josh Nyman. Josh Nyman. He had a good year. Like he was a reasonable (laughs) replacement. I tell you what, when he had to start week three, I thought they were dead, and he came in and really held his own. I was, Mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised. So what's the what's the word around there? Like what's the what's the the word about Bakhtiari and about Elton Jenkins? As well, Jenkins, they're coming back. Yeah, well, Jenkins. We, I, I think the suspicion has always been we'll, we'll probably start on PUP, which this year is four weeks uh, for the first time. Um, I would I would be surprised if he's ready for week one. With Bakhtiari, I don't know, man. Like it's so disheartening to hear you know to come in and see that he's been placed on PUP. I know there was a report from ESPN that he suffered some kind of setback during rehab, which is just awful considering everything he went through last year trying to get back on the field. I, I really got to wait and hear whatever Matt has to say tomorrow and Brian. I mean, there's no scuttlebutt about anything when it comes to Dave's health um, that can get out of anyone. I think the Packers are always going to be conservative, right? They are notoriously conservative. And when I talked to David for an interview at the end of last season, he kind of wanted to get his, you know, kind of story out there as far as why he missed an entire year. And he talked about Doc McKenzie, the Packers doctor, 
saying, we don't want you back for three games. We want you back for three years is the quote that he used. And I was like that, you know, that tracks with how the Packers operate, whatever Martellus Bennett may tell you, you know, they always err on the side of caution. So I hope as Packers fans are hoping that this is just more of that. And that at some point in camp, he comes off PUP and is at least in the conversation for week one, but we'll start to know more tomorrow. Dr. Dazzle asks, would they start one and two after three games? They have a sort of a hard start. Which of the away games is a win? They start with at Minnesota, Chicago at home, and then at Tampa Bay. And listen, as much as we're higher on Minnesota than anybody else, I would think that if they're going to win one of those two away games, it's going to be at Minnesota. And by the way, the schedule gets a lot easier after that with Patriots, Giants, Jets. Although Giants is in London, anything can happen. And then coming back from London, you play right away. Lots of times teams get a bye week coming back from London. The Packers declined that and decided we want to play right away. And so they're playing the Jets coming off that jet lag trip. So who knows? I'm just saying. It's not any more jet lag than going from Los Angeles to New York. I know. Well, it's a little bit. Uh, But I will say, as far as that one and three, uh, one and two question, I think it's an excellent, excellent question. I'm with you. I think 100% more likely W is in Minnesota simply because of, you know, the teams being evenly matched. And I think the problem down in Tampa, you know, the Packers have just never performed well down in Florida. It's just, it's some kind of bugaboo. Rodgers, Rodgers is part of that too. He just has not played well, not played well against that defense. It's been a house of horrors. Maybe not having Devante forces him to spread it around. Maybe Matt LaFleur says, Hey, we should maybe try to run the ball a little bit instead of, throw it all over the yard against this incredible pass rush. Who knows? I don't know. We'll see. But um, yeah, to me, the Minnesota is the more likely of the two. One more. MZ says Bakhtiari mentioned it was Rogers who wanted him to get some reps. And then Bakhtiari had a set pack. Did he play just because Rogers wanted him to? No, I know Rogers put that out there on McAfee. Um, Clearly Rogers wanted him out there. There's no doubt about it, but that was very much a discussion within the entire kind of football part of the organization, right? Right. There's no doubt that um, Bakhtiari was feeling the issue with his knee all year long. And at some point, they were getting ready for the playoffs, and he knew kind of – and he said this in the interview, and it wasn't so much like there was anything said, but he could feel that coaches wanted to see him out there. Personnel people were like, should we bring someone in, et cetera. And he felt kind of – duty bound honor bound so to speak to show people okay this is you know i can i can i can do this and he didn't necessarily suffer a setback in that game it's just the fluid issue that he was dealing with all year long just kept popping up so it wasn't in the sense of like something popped or something tore some you know what i mean like it was just a continuation of what he'd been dealing with all year long i mean don't forget as he told me he had his knee drained over 15 times last year 15 times in one season. I tell you to go YouTube, uh, you know, knee drainage, but it's disgusting and I don't want to ruin your lunch. But it is, uh, it it was just a really unfortunate kind of situation with Dave. And it sure sounds like it might be something they're dealing with for a while here. Does Julio Jones, Bryce Waltz asks, does Julio Jones seem like a good fit for the Packers, maybe closer to the end of the year? I I don't know (laughs) how much Julio Jones has left at this point. I mean, he hasn't been healthy since 2018. I just, I I get the name value, right? But man, for the two games he'd play, I'm sure it'd be fun, but I just don't see Green Bay operating that way. I I would be absolutely shocked if they went that route. Now, 
OBJ, Odell, I think. There's Odell a, there's Beckham a makes way more sense as yes. a second-half pick. And they were interested last year. You know, we know that. And I think that makes a world of sense. But, I again, that even that will surprise me because I don't think OBJ really wants to play in Green Bay. I think he wants to go back to L.A. and live that L.A. life. And he doesn't want to be hanging out in Shano. You know, he wants to be uh, out in L.A. So, who knows? Maybe the Packers make that move. It's possible. But um, of the two, yeah, OBJ is way more. All right. Thank you so much. Aaron Nagler, Cheesehead TV is his website, live from Green Bay, bringing us all the Packers information on the Packers' upcoming season. Thanks for helping us preview the team, man. It's really good to have you on. Absolutely. And thanks for the almanac, man. It is so great. And I, you didn't even send it to me this year. I went and just got it with my FO subscription. I, I'm, I geek out on that thing. And the moment you guys say it's coming, it's coming, then it's out, I, like, I, down, I have to download it every year within the first – like 30 seconds it's available. It is like, it is another satisfied heaven. customer. I love uh, it, yeah. man. I love it. Thanks so much for having me, dude. All right. Thanks for being on. Take it easy. All right. We're going to turn now and talk about another team from the NFC North that I think uh, will surprise people how high we have them in our projections. Even though when I say how high we have them, they're still not above 500 on average, but uh, just the fact that they might be in it at the end of the season. The Detroit Lions are better than I think people realize. And I'm, part of it, I think, is that uh, we're really big on the coaching staff and the job they did last year. Like Dan Campbell, all that aggressive stuff, uh, you know, motivating guys in the locker room, does count for something. There's no numbers on it. I mean, you want numbers. He was aggressive on fourth down. So there's a good number. But I mean, as far as the like, let's rip their kneecap stuff off. I do think that matters. He's got guys who want to play for him. And so Detroit, you know, they don't project to be above average on either offense or defense, but since they have an easy schedule, if they're just a little bit better than their average projection, they could be nine and eight and be in the playoff race. They make the playoffs in 35% of our simulations. The the thing about Dan Campbell's like, you know, attitude or whatever is that usually when guys are that like weird rah-rah, you know, we're going to bite kneecaps or whatever, usually just means they're going to run the ball and like maybe blitz a lot or something, you know, just the, that's what you would think of with aggression. But with Campbell, it actually manifested, like you said, in like coaching decisions and like not punting, going for it um, on fourth downs, just stuff like that. So like, I think if they keep that up, that is a, a huge thing for them because when you are typically the underdog, I think those things are, you know, they become even more valuable. I mean, the fact that they stayed in the Rams game for as long as they did is truly unbelievable. Um, probably a little lucky, but, you know, it, th those are the the things that you have to do when you are um, kind of on the back foot. But, yeah, like you said, I think I still generally really like this team. The coaching staff is good, and I think the offense has a lot more like stable ground to stand on than I think people realize they had no explosiveness last year, especially, you know, with Deandre Swift being a little bit in and out with injuries and stuff, but the stability that they're working with in terms of the offensive line, you know, the guys they have projected to start two good tackles, a really good center. Um, the guard plays a little questionable, but I think with Ragno back in the lineup, those two guys should be better. We got some questions when we did the tier list show on the offensive line Mm -hmm. that we did the Lions too low. And I think we talked about it. And we all sort of agreed like that we could definitely see us coming back a year from now and going, oh, yeah, we did this too low. Because Ragnow in particular, Rag Ragnow yeah. missed, you know, whatever, most of last year. He's he's very good. Mm -hmm. Especially on, on the ground, which actually I think was like their bigger problem. Um, because I think um, 
their interior in terms of, you know, the ground game was just not good. I think Evan Brown was their center last year. Not very good on the ground game. Uh, Jonah Jackson, one of their other guards. I have never really been that impressed with him as a run blocker, even though I think he's a fine pass blocker. So I think getting Ragno back, who is not one of just the best centers, period, but specifically as a run blocker, really, really, really good. I think that could go a long way for kind of unlocking the run game, which I think in turn is is really important for Goff, who is one of those, you know, um, play action structure type of quarterbacks. Um, I think that would help him a lot. And then you add on, you know, some of the stuff they did with adding receiver talent. The yeah, offense I mean, can be like not bad. Before last year, DJ Chark was one of those guys that we talked about as, boy, this guy's got a lot of talent. If we just got him on a team with a good quarterback, imagine mm-hmm. what he could do. Now, he's still not on one, but... <laughs> he's closer than he, he was. <laughs> the injury <laughs> the injury made us all forget how good he is. And then we don't know when Jamison Williams is going to play and how good he's going to be because, right, he's, he's got to recover from ACL. So even if he's ready to get on the field, we'll be as fast as he usually is, but... Um, you know, if he plays the second half of the year, now Amon Ross St. Brown is the third receiver. That's a pretty darn good third receiver. Yeah, their offense could be reasonable. And Goff is like, you know, Goff has issues with standing in the pocket too long. But I think with this offensive line, that can be quelled a little bit. Um, his processing can be a little slow at times. But like he's, if he can get pointed in the right direction, he's a really accurate thrower and I think if they have more guys who are going to be open you know more options to to kind of scheme this stuff up he he could be like reasonably productive I mean wasn't he like 20th in in DVOA last year or something um minus 3.6 percent so yeah just a little bit below average roughly about mm -hmm. 20 yeah and if we assume you know the offensive line and the receivers are going to be better I don't think it's that unreasonable that he could be average or slightly better that that's about what he is like in his you know the the standard middle version of golf is like an average quarterback, maybe slightly above if you have good, good options. And then the defense is packed with guys that we feel are like, Hey, sneaky, useful guys that you don't realize. Like there are three of them, I think on the top 25 prospects list, uh, Derek Barnes, the linebacker, and then Julian Aquara and I'm trying to remember who the third one is, but there's also the defensive tackle Levi on who mm-hmm. didn't qualify for the top prospects list. Cause you have to be third round or lower. And he's a second rounder, but he's another guy who you really like. Mm-hmm. And uh, a Lynn McNeil. Also is another good. young, young guy with talent. Who's sort of like not someone who people don't talk about. Oh, Detroit has all these good young guys, but Detroit has a good amount of good young guys not even looking at Aiden Hutchinson, you know, who a lot of us felt should have been like the number one pick in the draft. The the problem really with their defense is just, they don't have like a star that they can kind of hinge everything off of. But yeah, to your point, they have a lot of guys who like other teams would be happy starting these guys. Like honestly, Charles Harris was, I think a lot better than people realized last year. The two tackles you mentioned, I think uh, were better than people realized. Like, I mean, the biggest problem really to me is just corner. Um, yeah. If I, they I, could get a, if they could get like a big cor- next year's draft, yeah. get a top corner in next year's draft, and Hutchinson turns into the guy we think Hutchinson yes. can be, those other pieces are good enough that this could be a top defense if they had those two pieces set. A hundred percent. And like at corner, like 
maybe Jeff Okuda can, can do something because, you know, he was hurt for most of last year. And I do think Aaron Glenn is like a really, really, really good defensive backs coach. So if there was going to be anywhere he could figure this out, it would be here. Obviously, we don't know. Um, but yeah, outside of him, it's just like they really just have Amani Oruwarie, who is like the Diet Coke version of Trevon Diggs, basically. <laughs> um, and then they signed Mike Hughes, who gave up a ton of big plays last year. So I don't know. I still have worries about the corners, but they have a lot of like solid to good pieces in the front seven. And I think that can probably be enough to be like a not disastrous defense. I think especially in this division where you're going to get a lot of teams being you know heavier in their personnel and running the ball a lot. I think that's probably like a decent scenario for them. Uh, H.E. Soder says, who is going to generate pressure? I mean, Charles Harris sort of came back from being a, the disappearing act of his career, and I don't know how much you can trust him. But look, Aiden Hutchinson should be good. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Okwara brothers, and then there's Josh Pascoe. And they've got some pass rush. I, I think they have like a good – like too deep they just don't have a star but i think that was kind of what the bills were last year i don't know if they're quite supposed to be the star the question is just how long does it take for him to be the star right is he the star right away it probably won't be this year 2024 you know exactly um so yeah i I do like their too deep though like i think yeah even when you go down into the aquaras um josh pascal is like a really really good He's more of a pocket pusher type than somebody who's going to actually. I will tear point out edge, Zach but... Sear, if I remember correctly, he did very low in sacks here. He did not. Yeah, play. he's more of like I think I put this in the chapter. He's more of like a Trey Flowers, where he is just pushing the pocket a lot and kind of causing a lot of disruption. But I think if they start to blitz more this year, um, especially on first and second down, he could actually be really, really valuable in terms of you know generating space that way. So, I mean, I there are a lot of interesting pieces here. Like, the defensive projection for them is not good, but there are pieces where you're like, if you look at these guys and then you look at uh, Aaron Glenn as the defensive coordinator and the way people believe in him, this is one of those defensive turnarounds that it would, it would make narrative sense. Mm-hmm. It's not likely, but it would make narrative sense. And if you had an average offense and a defensive turnaround, now the Lions are a real team. And they also signed um, Deshaun Elliott at safety, who I think is not a very like sexy name at safety. But if you watch him in Baltimore, he did a very good job of just being where he needed to be on time, on time, and like kind of helping facilitate uh, the rest of that scheme. Obviously, they had so many you know injuries at cornerback that it didn't really matter last year. But I think in general, he's done a good job of like being a kind of band aid on the back end. And Lord knows the Lions really, really needed somebody like that last year. Yeah, I, um, you know, last year I was very big on the Lions over and uh, I was wrong. Uh, They didn't get it. And uh, I apologize for not looking what the number, looking up what the number is. But once again, I'm big on the Lions over. Like, I feel like this team is better than people realize. Not good. Like, I don't feel like they're going to be a playoff contender. But I just don't don't think they're going to be late November. They'll still be on the graphic. (laughs) Yeah, they're right. They're three, they're three thirteen and one. They're not going three thirteen and one again, and, um, and the difference is uh, we wrote about the Houston Texans that the Houston Texans are built to be on the still still in it graphic mm-hmm. in week fourteen. Detroit may be on that graphic in week fourteen, but they're not building towards that. They're building towards something better. Mm-hmm. They're just they're, they need a they need a quarterback and a cornerback. Yep, and, ho- and hopefully next year they can. <laughs> I, yeah, that's the that's the funny thing about the the lines this year is they might play themselves out of the quarterback pick, but 
Yeah. I, I still am always of the belief, like, just compete and then the chips will fall where they may. I mean, quarterback drafting is kind of crapshoot anyway. So, um, and they truthfully probably would still have like ammo to, to potentially move up if they really, really wanted a guy. So I think they'll, they'll be able to get their chance anyway. All right, that's our look at the Detroit Lions. Uh, eight mean wins, surprisingly high, but uh, restore the roar, hashtag restore the roar. Uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2022. Once again, want to remind everybody, it is out now. Go to Amazon.com to pick up a physical copy. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to get your electronic copy by becoming an FL Plus subscriber. And again, the early bird special ends at the end of the month. So if you want 20% off and get all the stuff that comes with an FO Plus subscription, not just the book, but the Kubiak fantasy draft tool, the weekly fantasy projections during the season, all the fantasy research tools, all the DVOA database going back to 1981, including all the stuff for the current year, which will help you with fantasy football and DFS. Thank you so much to everybody who watches the show today. Thank you for all the comments and questions. Thank you to everybody listening on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please do not forget to like and subscribe to the show because I'm about to drop a schedule change on you. We will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern to talk about the Minnesota Vikings with Matthew Collar from Purple Insider, as well as the Chicago Bears. Derek and I will be back tomorrow, not Thursday. I have to take Thursday off this week. So we are doing the show tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. So be there for Minnesota and Chicago. And until then, thank you for watching and listening, folks. <laughs>